how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. The film Blind Spotting moves from buddy comedy to dramatic reality. As such, the film needed a nimble score to make it powerful and relatable to audiences across the globe. In this exclusive interview, movie composer Michael Yerzeski discusses working with Oakland natives and filmmakers and stars of the film, David Diggs and Rafi Kazel, on the movie Blind Spotting. In addition, the composer gives advice on the difference between responding to visions and inspiring visions, what it means to have gut instinct musical response, how repetition can actually hurt a composer, and what it means to add emotional layers to the big screen. I don't know that there was any one particular thing. I think it was a lifetime of music that led me to composing. So, for example, um, I started playing the clarinet at age seven. And at about that time, I went to the movies and saw, um, I think it must have been a rerun or something, <laughs> knowing when it came out, but a rerun of Star Wars. I think it was, you know, back on the big screen. And um, uh, and I remember going, walking out of the theater, and my dad said to me, oh, what did you think of the music? And I was like, I loved it. And I was like, well, you could do that one day. And so... For whatever reason, that went to the back of my mind because I was a player. I was a clarinet player, and then I started playing piano. When I, at about age 13, I just started writing pieces for my music class. Um, and then I pursued sort of a, quite a formal classical composition degree. But basically, in the back of my mind, there was always this idea about doing film. And it wasn't until I got to film school that I actually, you know, really sort of fell into the film world. And... A lot of it was actually social because when I got to film school, I was like, these are my people. <laughs> I met my people. You know, I loved directors and producers and editors and production designers, cinematographers. And I just felt a camaraderie with them and, and the rest is history. So I assume there's kind of a difference from, and most of our audience is going to be screenwriters and directors, but... I assume there's a difference from like seeing a scene or a film and, and writing a song to go with it or a composition to go with it versus creating something from scratch. Do you still, when you know, if you're starting from scratch, do you picture a scene or what, what's kind of going on in your mind uh, when you're writing something from the very beginning? Well, yeah. So, I mean, often, 
you know, 90% of the job that I do is, you know, I'm given pictures and I'm, you know, the brief is to respond in a musical way to the, to the images. But on occasion, yeah, I'll get a script or a description or uh, a concept and I'll be told to respond to that, um, which is quite freeing but also scary as hell. <laughs> so um, the, I think in, in that sort of situation, you know, you're trying to sort of get into uh, the director's head but at the same time, like, surprise them. You know, so what is the, you know, like, what's the concept that that's going to perfectly encapsulate what I think is in your head? Um, but also, let me give you something else that you may not have thought of. So it's it's sort of this kind of nebulous process. Um, the what drove me to be a composer for, for film and television is the fact that I, you know, I love narrative music. I love music that is emotive and tells a story and inspires vision. Um, and so when I'm actually given, you know, that opportunity, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, without vision, as in like, you know, could I have something to play on set? Could I have something to, you know, inspire me while I write? You know, that's actually the most fun and the most challenging. Um, so, you know, I think the, there are two ways of, 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 of the, the, there are two ways that I work. And like, actually, like, you know, the question was like, one is to respond to, to vision and the other one is to sort of inspire it. And they're both equally challenging and, you know, can be a lot of fun. Do you ever find yourself uh, in, a, in a situation where the director is perhaps too attached to another sound? Like I, I believe I heard Judd Apatow talking about uh, imagining a song in his head for a certain scene and they couldn't get the rights possibly. And he wanted the composer to come up with something similar, but obviously not the same. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where, uh, it takes multiple takes, or, or what do you kind of do about that when they're attached to something that's um, you can't really emulate in a certain way? Yeah, you know, it happens a lot. Um, the, there is a um, um, sort of a phenomenon called temp love, <laughs> which is when um, you know, uh, you know, a team, a filmmaking team, has been listening to a cue in their edits, you know, whether it's a song or a piece of score you know, a million times over and over and over again and they fall in love with it and then sort of they come to you and say, you know, we don't want you to copy this, but we love this, <laughs> you know. And so it's very hard to, to you know, um, sometimes for them to extricate themselves from whatever that piece of music is doing. And, and the difficult thing can be, it might not be the notes themselves, it could be the sound or a particular you know, a uh, voice or instrument or something or lyric or there's something particular and proprietary that, that connects that piece to their vision for them. And so the challenge then as the composer is to try and determine what, what it is that they love and do it in a different way, like flip it on its head. So you're going, well, you know, can I, I can't do the same thing. I can't give you that voice. I can't give you that instrument. But I know what you like about it. You know, I can determine just by listening to it what it is that you're loving. And, it, and I can give you emotionally the same thing or narratively the same thing, but in a completely different way. You know, like, say, if you're using a voice, I could use, you know, depending on the film, might be some exotic instrument from somewhere else that you've never heard of. It, you know, it could be anything like that. Or, if, you know, if it's a particular song lyric, and say, well, I can't give you that song lyric, but 
maybe I could come up with something that connects more, more, you know, relevantly in a way, you know, because obviously it's bespoke, you know, to your story. Uh, it's definitely a challenge, but I actually work very well, I think, with Temp. So I actually, you know, I, I enjoy that particular challenge when someone sort of says to me, I love this and I can't get away from this. I was like, right, challenge accepted. Let me see what I can do. So let's talk about your new film a little bit, Blind Spotting. Uh, there's a quote on your website that says, I'm always looking for the emotional truth in a story. Find that and you find your score. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you saw uh, when you when you watched this film? And when do you come into the process? I realize it may be different. Do you come in during the filming process after it's already, you know, the first cut's been done? When do you, when do you kind of step on and, and start working on the, on the movie? Um, to your last question first, yeah, I, you know, it varies. Generally speaking, the composer is hired at the end. Um, on blind spotting, I was hired at the very, very end, and I only had about two or three weeks to score the film. Um, but there are other films, you know, like I was saying before, where you come in at script stage, you know, because the director would like concepts, musical concepts, proof of concepts, melodies, things to play for the actors. So it really does vary. Um, so in terms of emotional truth, though, uh, I, tend, I tend to respond as a composer uh, to jobs where where people are looking for an emotional layer that's not maybe on the screen already, you know. So it's like it's there, it's in their heads, it's in, it's in the heads of the filmmakers and the producers, but it's but no, but it hasn't been realised yet. I, I sort of take the, you know, the view that if it's already on the screen, it doesn't need to be in the music. If the film, if the scene is funny, you don't have to make the music funny. If the scene is dramatic, the music doesn't have to be overly dramatic. And that's why I was talking about sort of that quote is about emotional truth because. What is the truth of the scene? What is the truth of the story? And if it's already there, don't make it redundant in the score. Don't double up because you actually end up halving the effect. Um, so the um, but the thing about blind spotting was, you know, it wears its heart on it wears its heart on its sleeve at times. It, it is raw and uncompromising. I mean, it's brilliant in the way that it navigates the terrain of going from a buddy comedy ostensibly to a, you know, a heartfelt uh, and at times terrifying uh, drama and representation of American life. So the score had to be quite nimble and go from these sort of great heights of, you know, fun, let's say Oakland Funk-inspired pieces at the beginning of the film and then quickly transition into something very raw and, you know, pained, basically. But already that's on the screen, so I'm doing it in a very simple way. So when you're working on something like this and you're in that crunch time of two or three weeks, as you said, what does that time look like for you? Are you watching the movie over and over? Are you watching specific scenes over and over? How many hours a day are you working? Those kind of details. <laughs> in terms of hours of the day, it's all of them. At that point, um, that, you know, it's like when it's when it's that short a time, then it's you really are it's sort of pedal to the metal. You just you're just you know as, as long as you can stay awake, you're writing music, you're trying things out, you're throwing ideas around, um, and yeah, you tend to like I tend to watch the film in its entirety two or three times, but then once I've done that, that kind of goes out of your mind because you start you have to focus on the micro. And, and keeping the macro in mind, but you're, you know, you're looking at scenes intently. You're, you know, how is each scene shaped? You know, trying to get into the mind of the editor 
you know, like the rhythm of each scene, and that becomes sort of all-encompassing. So it's like today, okay, I'm working on this scene, and, and I've, I'm not really going to think about the other scenes other than, you know, is there a melody or something or a theme that I have set up before that I can bring in at a certain point, like a character theme or an emotional theme. Generally speaking, um, you're not. You, you don't think beyond that. It's like, what's today's task? So, um, but, yeah, no, it becomes... It's an intense process, especially in two or three weeks. <laughs> what are some of the additional difficulties? Like, I'm looking at your website, and I see there's around uh, 20 sample tracks that you've created over, over your career. I see some that are four and a half minutes long and some that are 40 seconds long. How do you kind of pack the same, you know, emotional level in a, in a very short track like that? Well, that's, the, that's sort of the art of it, isn't it? Like, you're... When you sometimes scenes are 40 seconds long, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll be composing for a commercial, which is 30 seconds long, and, and you have to hit a certain emotional space within that time. Uh, I don't think the length of time is necessarily uh, an indicator of anything other than you've got to get there quickly. Uh, and so, the, for example, like the, the, the work on my website, which I'm never settled on it keeps changing almost every day <laughs> um is a um is a representation of things that at the time i'm sort of feeling oh well that cue you know did something and when i listen back i'm reminded of a certain emotion that i try not to show in the next cue and even if it is like 40 seconds it's like what what is it about it that inspires uh, a response in me and hopefully in directors and producers that have a listen to it but it's it, it, maybe it's an instrument, or maybe it's a sound, maybe it's a, a musical concept that I haven't played with before. You try and, you know, I guess across my career, I try and come up with, um, I try and come up with, um, um, I try and come up with, I guess I don't like repeating myself with what I'm saying, like musically. So I try and you know, respond to a, to each film in a different way because a film is very rarely a repetition of another film or even of another story point. There are different subtle differences sometimes, sometimes not so subtle. Sometimes we're telling a story about Oakland, sometimes we're telling a story about, you know, my first film, An Autistic Family, growing up in Sydney. And what it, how is the music going to be independent uh, of any other thing that I've ever done? How is it unique? How is it of the film, of the project? How is it when, you know, if you're listening back to the score at some point, it brings the audience back to that one particular story. And that's always the goal for me, which is why, you know, hopefully on my website all the tracks sound a bit different. I was noticing that we were just traveling and, and the movie Gladiator was on, like I feel like it was on repeat. And I, I noticed that the one sounds, the one big fight sounds a lot like uh, Hans Zimmer's other work in Pirates of the Caribbean. What do you kind of do to, to avoid that? I mean, do you, in addition to trying new things, are you, do you have like a, a journal of things almost to avoid that are too similar to something or just constantly changing your style? Or what is it that you do most to change those sounds? Well, often it, it, it's actually a simpler response to that. I, it's boredom. <laughs> you know, I actually don't like doing the same things. Um, every time I start a new project, I construct a new template, like from scratch, which takes, days you know and when I say template I'm talking about my my sort of my palette of sounds I never go back to the same palette so I try and you know even as my starting point I want each project to be different and a lot of that is just because I'm I'm bored I've, I've done 
that other thing before. Um, and so hopefully that creates a point of difference to jump off from. Um, but, you know, but like sometimes though, it does happen that, you know, when your music as a composer has been tempted in a film, they, you know, the team will come to you and say, you were hired because of this cue. <laughs> you know, that also happens. Um, and so basically do that again, you know, because, you know, it's fine. It's not as much fun, but it's fine. So I always try and, you know, um, you know, in that, in that situation, I'm like, well, what if I did this? Like, what if I give you sort of the same kind of thing, but maybe add, you know, this instrument or instead of an orchestra, can we use, you know, something else, like a different ensemble, you know, uh, it could be a brass ensemble, could be, I mean, it could be anything, could we, you know, instead of a full orchestra, could we use just strings or just like a percussion group or something just to make it different. Um, and also I think that's in the interest of the film, you know, so that, you know, you don't, have a film or a show sounding like any other show that even that you've worked on. I think that's, the, in a way, the biggest challenge. Uh, and, you know, I've been... I remember I was on a project once, and I was, this was on a, a television series, and I remember in the mix, the producer sort of piped up and said, oh, hang on, hang on, that cue sounds like this other show that you worked on. And I was like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> you know, so I think it's, it's something that, you know, uh, that the filmmaking teams are also really aware of as well. So... Um, you know, I, I'm quite mindful of it, generally, anyway. So with this film, as you mentioned, it's uh, kind of a contemporary Oakland-inspired funk uh, sound. Is that something that's, like, in the screenplay? Do they give you any sample tracks? Like, what, do you guys just kind of talk about what it should sound like? What was the first thing you heard to kind of start creating this specific sound for this film? Yeah, there's a lot of discussion about it. I mean, um, Rafa and David are obviously Oakland natives and they're musicians. So music was a huge priority for them. They were laser-focused on it, uh, not just the source material, the, 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 um, the needle drop tracks, but also the, the, the bespoke tracks, the score, and the tracks that they were creating. Everything had to inspire uh, a feeling of Oakland um, musically. So on the funk tracks, I mean, the thing is, Oakland has this incredible music history, and, you know, when I was playing in, you know, funk and jazz bands in, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't realize that the people I was listening to actually came from Oakland. And so I had that language, you know, buried for a few years. But I, but I certainly had that language at my fingertips. But, I, again, without realizing, you know, all the musicians who had inspired me when I was younger were actually from Oakland. So we talked about that. We talked about different ways of bringing in the Oakland sound into the film, um, being inspired by what had gone before, but also making something contemporary that was of the scene and of the film. Uh, and, you know, when I would do something that would sound, you know, East Coast instead of West Coast, they would point it out. They were like, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't use that drum sound. You can't, you know, that, that bass line is not right. You know, it needs, that's, that's the East Coast bass line. We've got to be West Coast. Um, so things like that. So it was regional and specific, and which also made it a really fun challenge. Uh, but then, of course, when the when the funk cues sort of subside uh, in the film, then you know we're looking at darker scenes, more layered, uh, sort of almost sound design music. And for those cues, I ended up mixing in like little sounds of Oakland, art train samples, uh, you know, traffic sounds. You know, like on set, they they had gone and recorded uh, a bunch of 
um, atmospheres and effects and just, you know, the general atmosphere of Oakland. And basically, you know, they gave that folder to me at the beginning. They're like, hey, we recorded 63 gigabytes of sound on set. Do you want it? I was like, yeah, I'll take it. Absolutely. And I started layering it into the queues, you know. How do you, with something like that, how do you possibly start to filter that out with just all the, I mean, your list, you have to listen to everything, I would imagine, then you kind of, you save certain files or tracks and drop them in between. How do you kind of choose what works and what doesn't work? Well, it was grouped into elements, so I could tell, I could zero in pretty quickly onto what elements were working. That's general traffic noise, that's not going to be useful to me. But, you know, certain sounds like, I think they had these little sounds like lockers opening and shutting and like banging, you know, so I was like, oh. Well, that's like percussion. Uh, and then, of course, there were the Bart Train sounds, and there was something quite musical about them when I listened to them. They're, they're sort of like, oh, there's a tone there, and there's sort of a rising, you know, as the train pulls away from the station, there's this kind of interesting rising texture that it makes, you know, which could actually, which actually sounds quite tense to me. Um, and, and I sort of laid them into, my, into the music that I was writing anyway. Not that they're super recognizable, not that, not that necessarily anyone will listen to it and go, oh, that's a train, because hopefully the way it's layered in is like it's, it's layered in, it's part of the fabric of the queue. Um, but I think on some level, particularly for the filmmaking team, Carlos, Rafa, David, um, Jason Keith, I think it, it triggered something. It was like there was a familiarity uh, to the sound world because it was, oh, that is, there's some Bay Area essence, you know, peppered into this queue. What, is, what have been some of the biggest challenges of kind of getting into the industry or what, what advice might you have for people who want to become professional composers one day for films? Yeah, it's, um, it's a tough gig to get. The, it really only happens by word of mouth, I, I believe, in the, particularly in the beginning stages um, and socially as well. The biggest advice that I always have to composers, you know, is go and make friends with filmmakers. You know, go to film school, go and hang out where they're going to hang out. Even if you know how to write music, even if you've done two or three music degrees, you still haven't worked out and haven't had the exposure to uh, people who are looking for narrative music. And that's a very, very different thing to the concert stage. Um, how, do you, how do you learn how to refine the craft so that it can inspire story and inspire a a filmmaker, and only by talking to filmmakers uh, and hanging out with them, cinematographers, production designers, editors, you know, the gamut of professions within the industry, only by hanging out with those people do you, do you really get a sense, I believe, of how to do it. Um, you know, there's a lot of composers who take the apprentice route, you know, working under other composers. That's also great because you also get exposure that way. But it's a long-term process. You're not don't expect to walk in on day one, meet a filmmaker, and suddenly you're scoring their film, or you're scoring their, even their short film. You know, it, it takes time to build up trust and for, for your collaborators to really feel confident that you are going to not only get their vision, but execute and deliver. Well, as I mentioned, I really like your website. I think the tracks on there are great. It sounds like you're constantly updating those as well. Is, so when, when someone is in the opportunity and they do get that chance to sit down with someone or, or share their, their reel or however you would phrase it, um, how can they be best prepared? What is the main thing you look for when you're putting these tracks together? Is it just that they're just the differences in them and the, and the consistency or how does that work for you when you're thinking about your website and that kind of thing? 
Well, the website's more general, so like it, it really is a representation. That's why it changes all the time. Because my, you know, when I when I think about the the, the amount of styles that I've worked in, it's quite crazy. Um, so I, that's why I keep changing the website every day. It's like, what am I in the mood to put on there? <laughs> you know? um, but when when a project comes along, I will often prepare a reel that is like laser focused, incredibly specific, um, and that's because I think you know there's not a lot of time for filmmakers and people who are interested in hiring you to get an overall appreciation of let's look at everything you've done, you know, but no one has time for that. So, they, you know, they have a specific project in mind. It's like I've either been sent a script or I've been sent a concept or even just reading about it online and I will respond, you know, going through my catalogue and putting together a playlist that I believe is sort of a gut instinct uh, musical response to what I'm reading or what I'm what I'm feeling as a result of interacting with their story. Uh, in terms of um, even being even more specific, there are times when I will actually write a cue. You know, um, I will write a suite of things if I'm really inspired by what I read or see. Or I might write something original and send it and go, "Hey, what do you think of this?" I just put this at the top of the reel, and that's <laughs> just my response. You know, take it or leave it. Um, so it, it really varies, but, but, you know, the, the website, you know, I think as all composer websites are, it's a very general look at some of the, some of the music I've written in my career, but when it comes to, you know, going after a project or even being asked to respond to a project, it, it gets very, very specific and all the cues resemble, you know, one voice, one sound, you know, it starts to sound linear and, and more like a film score. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.